0: Okay, I want to recognize some people, first of all. You may not have seen them, they kind of snuck in here. But uh, Pastor Jim and Darcy just flew in from Washington. Boy, are their arms tired. Uh, (laughs) Glad you guys are here with us. Uh, They have actually been down in Orlando together at the Gospel Coalition Conference soaking up the sun and some great teaching of God's Word, and then up to see Jim's folks, and now they're spending uh, this week here in town to see uh, Darcy's mom and go off little Theodore James, and, uh, and and of course Miss Lucy, I'm sure, is getting big and lots of fun as well. So uh, be sure to greet them if you haven't had that opportunity yet. Um, want to highlight a couple opportunities for ministry that are near and dear to our hearts here uh, at Chillicothe Bible Church. Uh, First, uh, John and Chris Heffern, would you stand up, please? I met with John this week. Uh, John is the director of the Crossword Cafe. You guys can sit down. You don't have to be totally embarrassed. Uh, But um, John is the director of the Crossword Cafe, which is a ministry in downtown Chillicothe uh, down on 2nd Street, uh, to the at-risk kids in our community. Many of them do not have good parents. Um, certainly many of them don't have two parents in the home. And, uh, you know, some of them have, have parents who love them but aren't around because they need to be working. Uh, the cafe gives those kids a place to go. It gives them a place to, uh, that is safe, a place to be loved, a place to hear the gospel. There's a study on Tuesday nights. There's also, uh, John is talking about wanting to get another one going on Thursday nights. Uh, many of these kids that come to the cafe have never been to church anywhere, and they know nothing or next to nothing about Jesus. And what the, they could use right now at the cafe is some folks who are willing to go and hang out with these kids and build relationships with them and to share the gospel with them as opportunities for that arise. Now, we're talking about a, probably a six months to a year kind of investment that you would need to be willing to make before you'd have that opportunity to really share the gospel. A lot of these kids are kind of prickly on the outside, but they have, many of them, soft hearts and are willing to listen if they know you and respect you and love you So and know that you love them. So, um, But trust me, one prayer that God always says yes to is, Lord, give me opportunities to share the gospel trust me on this. If you pray that prayer today, God will start to give you opportunities. He will. And this is an opportunity that for a partnership with a ministry that is, uh, as I said, near and dear to our hearts here at CBC. So uh, if you are interested in that, they need at least two people on, a, on an immediate basis and, um, and more people in, uh, in months to come. So um, if, if that's something you think sounds like an area you'd like to serve in, um, see John, see Chris, uh, see um, Carl or Rachel B.C. Uh, Rachel's the associate director there. Um, they, can, they can hook you up with more opportunities than you have time for. So um, please, uh, please see them. Also, uh, Great Oaks Camp, uh, their annual fundraising banquet is this week on Thursday night. Great Oaks, I don't know how many of you know about it, uh, but Great Oaks is a ministry for the last 40 years that has sent kids out of the inner city of Peoria, from uh, the south side of Peoria, the roughest neighborhoods in town, out to camp and uh, at just up here, just, uh, just north of Lake in a little bit. And that ministry, uh, every year, uh, about 200 kids come out there to camp for the summer, and every one of them gets an eyeball-to-eyeball... One on one presentation of the gospel from their counselor at least once during the week, along with chapel, along with a lot of fun activities, along with a lot of fun. Um, that ministry is focused on the gospel. And um, so each year, as part of the effort to raise money for the operation of the summer camp ministry, uh, they have a banquet, and that is this Thursday night. Doors open at 5.30, the program starts at 6, down at the Embassy Suites in East Peoria. If you're interested in that, uh, see Shannon Keene. Shannon, would you shoot your hand up? All right. Uh, or see me, or see Rick Velock back there in the back. Uh, see uh, Judy McCall, who's uh, out sick today. But um, any of us will have tickets for you, uh, and we can get you more information about that. So, um Let's turn to our text for this morning together. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, picking up in verse 6. And as you make your way there, I want to just remind you of the overwhelming thrust of 1 Corinthians, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ as it is lived out by the people of God. And if you get nothing else out of our study of 1 Corinthians together... I'm serious. If you get nothing else out of our study of First Corinthians together, be sure to get this that there is no area of your life, big or small, significant, insignificant, there is no area of your life about which God does not care and which an understanding of the gospel does not inform. So, as we saw last week, God's, uh, God's Word and the Gospel informs even the most intimate details of your marriage. God's Word informs relationships within the church. God's Word informs how you take communion, as we'll see later. God's Word informs every area of life. And, and it ought to be, if you are a Christian, in other words, like a set of glasses... If you are nearsighted, I'm not yet. Uh, I keep reading and studying, and I will be blind as a bat, I'm sure, by the time I'm 80. Uh, but if you have glasses and you need them, the reason that you wear them is so that you can see properly, right? It always used to amaze me. My mother would ask us when we were kids, Can you guys find my glasses? I'm like, how do you lose them? Without them, you cannot see. So how do you wander around the house without the ability to see, right? But nevertheless, you need glasses so you can see. And what the scriptures function as is a set of glasses that enable you to see clearly the world around you and how to make decisions and how to be able to live a life that pleases God. And so again, if you get nothing else out of 1 Corinthians, get this for sure, That the the scriptures speak because God cares about every aspect of our life, big and small. Private and intimate and large and public. God cares about all of it and he expects all of our life to be an aspect of living out the fact that we are redeemed through the blood of Christ and and transformed by the Holy Spirit of God who indwells us. There is not an area of life that is just yours to decide to do with what you want. God wants us, wants all of our life to be a reflection of the fact that we belong to Him and to live out the truth of the gospel in how we conduct ourselves. Uh, and the goal of the Christian life is to diminish over time the separation that exists between what the Bible says and the life that you live. And this passage that we're going to look at this morning addresses some difficult circumstances that Christians encounter with reference to marriage and singleness. Lots of single people want to get married. Amen? Amen. Uh, lots of married people wish they were single. Those of you who are married, be quiet. Uh <laughs> There are lots of married people who wish they weren't. There are lots of single people who want to be married. So how does a Christian in one of those kind of hard situations... And being single is hard. I have a great marriage. I'm going to celebrate 17 years on June 1st. I love my bride. I would not go back to being single for all the tea in China. But there are lots of people who are married who are miserable, and they want out. And this passage we're going to look look at speaks to that. There are lots of people who want to be married who are single, and they want in. And yet they're not. And and how do you deal with that? Uh, What if your marriage is a challenge? What if you're married to an unbeliever? What kind of decisions... What kind of life is God calling you to? How are you to integrate the gospel with your life if your life is challenging and you want different circumstances than you have? That's the question and that Paul is addressing. So let's read here. Paul starts off with those who are single, verse, uh, chapter, six, uh, chapter 7, beginning in verse 6. Now as a concession, not as a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now, we want to consider carefully their opening statement. Uh, I think what Paul is saying here when he says, now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I think that's a reference back to the previous sentence where he is talking about marital intimacy and he says that it's okay to refrain from that if you both agree for a short period of time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But he's not, in other words, giving that, verse 6, as a command, as something you must do, but as something you may do as a married couple. And then he says, I wish that everyone were as I myself am. That's a reference to Paul's state as a single man who is living a celibate life. The only kind of sexually active life that is permissible under a biblical understanding Of these kind of relationships is either husband and wife, one man, one woman, who are to be sexually active with one another, or to be celibate and single. There is no third, fourth, fifth option, biblically speaking. I know that cuts cross-grain with our culture, but that is what the Bible teaches. That is what Jesus expects of us. Because there are, as I said a few weeks ago, there are three kinds of relationships, biblically. There are family relationships, there are neighbor relationships, and then there are husband and wife relationships. Obviously, there's no sexual contact within the family. That is sin. That's evil. That's something that God says He drove out the nations of Canaan before the Israelites for doing. You're not to have sexual contact with members of your own family. There also are neighbor relationships. People who are not family are nevertheless your neighbor. Anybody that is not related to you is your neighbor. And biblically speaking, there's no sexual contact with them either. And then there are marriage relationships in which sexual contact is commanded, not prohibited, commanded, that husbands and wives are to get together regularly. That's what we looked at this last week. Um, Shannon told me she thinks there'll be a baby boom here in about nine months. Um, That would be great, okay? That That would be a blessing. But Paul is saying, look, There are two kinds of permissible states for Christians, either single and celibate or married and sexually committed to one another. But there is no third, fourth, fifth kind. There is no fourth kind of biblical relationships. You're either family, you're neighbors, or you're married, but there's not another kind of relationship. There's not dating, there's not homosexual partnerships, there's not any other kind of relationship biblically speaking if you want to please god with your life and paul is saying here look each one of these kinds of relationship marriage and singleness is each look at it a gift from god now a lot of people who are who are single think this is not a gift from god this is horrific this is awful how could this be a blessing? Well, we're going to get into that a little bit further in chapter 7 because the reality of it is, is that each kind of relationship, whether married or single, has certain benefits and certain challenges. If you are single, you are able to serve the Lord wholeheartedly and without consideration of anyone else or their feelings or their thoughts or their desires for your life, you're able to devote yourself completely to the Lord and what He would call you to do. And that's a good thing. And it's a blessing. And it's a good state to be in. One of the great tragedies I have seen happen is that two people who, as singles, are both as tremendously devoted to the Lord as they can possibly be. They're involved in student ministry, perhaps, or they, they are uh, involved in campus ministry at college, and they are burnt out to serve Jesus, and they're, gonna, they're going to you know, charge off to the mission field, or they're going to go into full-time ministry in another capacity, and they're all excited. And they're sharing the gospel with everybody, and they're memorizing Scripture. And these two people get together, and you think, boy, this is fantastic. These people are really going to make an impact for the kingdom of God. And you know what happens? they get married, and they hang it all up. And, and they turn to people younger than them, and they go, yeah, that was, a, that was a great period of our life. We're hanging it up here. We're 24 now. We've got to have kids and weed eat. Well, there's nothing wrong, of course, with having a house or even a weed eater. My wife wishes I put mine to better use, or at least more frequent use. <laughs> okay. Um, But to trade in your devotion to the Lord for the sake of a marriage, even a good one, is not a good thing. And so Paul says, I wish that everyone were single and celibate like me because this is where you can devote all of your energies to the Lord. It's a good thing. It has certain blessings. On the other hand, being married also has some tremendous blessings. I get to spend every day of my life with my best friend, and that's great. And we are more effective together than we are apart. And we have been knit together by the Lord in such a way that when she is not with me, as she's not today, she has strep. I feel like a part, a big chunk of me, is missing. And that's a blessing too, amen? And Paul says, look, both of these are gifts from God, one of one kind and one of the other. And he says, so, so then he says, okay, so how do you determine if you're supposed to get married if you're single or not? To the unmarried and widows, I say it's good for them to remain single. It is. Singleness is a good state. It's not a second-class status within the kingdom of God. Sometimes it gets treated that way. Sometimes within the church even, we tend to look down on people who are single and to say to them, well, when are you going to grow up and mature and become an adult and get married? That's kind of how we treat people sometimes. And that's wrong. It's a good state. It says, but if they can't exercise self-control, they should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. How do you know if you are someone who has the gift of celibate singleness or should get married? Paul says, if you have strong desires physically toward the opposite sex, it would be a good idea for you to get married. Now, I don't know what has happened, but somewhere along the line... In Christian circles, Christian dating got really weird. It got very strange. You know, where you went out with somebody and then you, you weren't allowed to really, like, tell them how you exactly felt. And you weren't, it was unspiritual to actually want to marry one another. And it, and it was kind of, you know, you're supposed to kiss dating goodbye and all that. And, you know, when I was 22, I kissed dating goodbye until I met a girl. And then I kissed dating hello <laughs> right? Um but it got very strange, right? Being married is a good thing. And it's not a sin to want to get married, and it's not a sin to want to get married and to enjoy some of those blessings and benefits that go along with that. And Paul says if you have a desire for the opposite sex and that for a relationship with the opposite sex and for uh consummating your marriage. That's fine. That's a good thing. And it's a sign that you should get married. That God did not gift you with the gift of singleness. He did not intend for you to be walking around totally frustrated. If you're a widow, if you're single, you should get married if that's your situation. There are people, though, I have... You know, I have never been one. I don't know what this is like. Uh, for whom that's not a big aspect of their life. And, and Paul says those are the folks who should stay single. This is not something they spend any time thinking about. This is not something that uh, bothers them greatly. And those folks should stay single and serve the Lord when there's singleness. So, um, if you're single or if you're widowed, consider carefully your situation. you have a desire for connection with the opposite sex? If so, find a good person of the opposite sex who is in the Lord and marry them. If, on the other hand, you feel you may have the gift of singleness, Stay single and serve the Lord in that. Now, to the married, how about if you're married to a difficult spouse? If you're married and wish you weren't, what are you supposed to do? He says, to the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce His wife. And here Paul is repeating Jesus' teaching. That's what he means when he says, I'm not giving you this command merely. I'm repeating what Jesus said about divorce. Don't get divorced. Real simple. But if you do, remain unmarried or be reconciled to your spouse and remarry them. Otherwise... Don't get remarried, because doing so is adultery in God's eyes. If you um, want to cross-reference that, check, check out Matthew 19. Matthew chapter 19, verses 1-11, to 11, and Paul summarizes it here. Divorce is almost always serious sin, and remarriage after divorce is also usually serious sin. And the only exceptions that Jesus mentions in his teaching is a case in which your spouse is sexually unfaithful to you. And if you're in a difficult marriage, can I just say this to you? I know that this is tough. I know that this is hard teaching, and and I... I am not just standing up here trying to take a stick to you if you have made some poor choices here. If you're in a challenging marriage, in fact, these words about don't get divorced, or if you do get divorced, um, don't get remarried unless it's to the same person. Otherwise, you're in sin. are some hard truths. And the idea of staying married to that person seems like maybe the most self-destructive thing you can imagine. Because it really is true what the guys say when the women aren't around. Happy wife, happy life. That's a fact. I imagine the reverse is true also. If you're a wife, if you have a happy home, your life is good. And if you have an unhappy home, your life feels like 90 miles of bad road on four flat tires. But here's here's the fact, okay? Even though a lot of our happiness gets wrapped up into our marriages, getting divorced is not really an option or a Christian. And by the way, these commands right here these in 10 through 10 through 11 are given to believers who are married. And I think that's obvious from the fact that Paul addresses here in the next couple verses situations where one spouse is a believer and the other is not. So we're not talking about a marriage that is difficult because one of you is a believer and the other isn't. Uh, At least we're not talking about them yet. What we're talking about here is people with, um, with no biblically legitimate reason for divorce. And I think Paul is not talking, as an example, about situations where someone's life is threatened or when uh, one spouse or the other refuses to be faithful. I'm talking about two people, which is the normal situation for a divorce, where they're just not getting along. And the reality of it is, is that a lot of Christians who get divorced get divorced for that reason. Not because someone was unfaithful, not because one of the spouses was a believer and the other was not, and they couldn't reconcile that a lot of times people get divorced just because they get tired of dealing with one another and paul says if you're both christians that's sin sin and again i know that cuts cross grain with our culture with our no-fault divorce laws and all the rest of that but that's sin And the reality of it is, is that when you become a Christian, you are called to put yourself in a situation in which, even if it's very hard, you're going to obey the Lord rather than your own desires and your own um, and your own will and your own thoughts, because it is in the very hardest of situations when you decide to crucify yourself and follow the Lord, regardless of what it personally costs you, that Christ and his character is formed in you. And that's the objective. God has not told us that come follow Jesus and I will make everything good for you. He says, in fact, let me read Jesus' words here. He says... Do not come, do not think I came to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own house. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In other words, we are called to walk in a self-crucifying way. And if you're in a difficult marriage, I don't personally understand, but I sympathize. But nevertheless, Jesus doesn't say, Well, I want you to be happy more than I want you to be holy. He says come follow me put yourself to death that my character might be formed in you That's hard and tough words And yet that is what the gospel looks like lived out in a difficult marriage It's best if both of you play ball if both of you are Christians by the way you do not fall out of love with one another what you'd fall out of is repentance. Because the fact is, is that if you repent and forgive each other, your love remains. It's when one of you or both of you refuse to repent that you can't imagine sharing the same house together. And this is tough. But God cares much more about us being holy than us being happy. Let's move on. To the rest I say, not I, but the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children will be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Now again, none of this is hard to understand. It's simply hard to obey. I know... There are many people in this church who are in exactly this situation where you are a believing spouse and you have prayed and bled and sweated over your marriage and over your spouse. And this is deeply painful for you, and you feel this right here as I read this. But the Scripture encourages you to hang in there. Specifically because you are the conduit of God's grace into your home. And what what the Bible says to you is this. that, That your house is blessed because of you. That your children are blessed by God and honored and protected and given a spiritual benefit by you being there. That even your unbelieving spouse is made holy if, because of your presence there. That, does, does that mean that they are saved? No. But it does mean that you are the conduit of God's grace to them. That there's a whole lot more hope for the other members of your house to come to Christ with you there than with you absent. And so you need to hang in there. And again, I know that that has got to be unbelievably tough. That that has got to feel incredibly sacrificial on your part. And yet, that is the life God calls us to. He calls you to be like Joseph in Potiphar's house. Everything Potiphar had was blessed because Joseph was there. When Jacob went to his uncle Laban, and Laban was a pagan man. Who cheated, who cheated Jacob over and over and over and over and over. And yet Laban was blessed because Jacob was there. The whole land of Egypt was blessed by the presence of the people of Israel. And this is the same kind of situation that you as a believer in a difficult, hard situation are a blessing to everyone else in your house. And Paul says, look, the reason that you should stay in there is not just because of the command of God not to get divorced, but also that the gospel might be lived out in that home and that the people who are unbelieving in it might see the gospel being lived out by you and come to believe it based on your living testimony and by your words as well. Now, he does say, if your unbelieving spouse divorces you, it's not your fault. Sometimes that happens. In fact, it may have happened to Paul. It would have been very unusual for Paul as a uh, young rabbi to be growing up and not be married. Within Jewish culture, that was highly unusual. And so it may be, there, have been, there have been some who have speculated that perhaps Paul was not Single that his wife had divorced him because of his faith in Jesus. And if that happens to you, then feel free to get remarried. That's what I think that's what verse uh, 15 is teaching us. If the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved, or your translation may read, not bound. God has called you to peace. In other words, you don't have to feel like you are bound to this person who divorced you as a believer. You can seek another spouse if you want to. However, the general principle is don't get divorced if they're willing to remain married to you. That you might bring the gospel into that home. Now, I'm going to wrap this up. I know these are hard, hard situations to live through. That if you're a single person and you would like to be married, that waiting on that spouse that God would call you to into marriage with is a tough deal. But you're not to settle either for the first person who is willing to live with you. I know that if you are married and it's a difficult marriage even if the other person is a Christian that that can be very challenging especially if they are a Christian because then you have no no real reason or excuse for why they're behaving the way they are. If they were an unbeliever you could go, well, you know, of course he acts like an idiot or she acts like an idiot because they're not a believer they don't have the spirit of god within them so obviously they could be a challenge to be married to but if they're a believer and you're a believer and and you can't figure out together how to repent and change it can be very difficult but nevertheless god would call you to be obedient to his word and obedient to the command of jesus to take up your cross and to follow Jesus, not in, not in an act of gritting your teeth and just enduring. But in recognizing, this is the situation God called me to, and though it is hard, I will obey God rather than myself and my desire. What holiness looks like. That you are willing to put yourself and your desires to death, that Jesus might be exalted in your life. And if you're married to an unbeliever, you have my sympathies. I can't, I can't begin to imagine what that must be like. To not be able to share at the deepest level of your heart and your life and your passions and your goals for what you want your life to be like. I can't imagine how hard that must be. And yet God calls you to live out the gospel in that home. That you might be a blessing to your husband or your wife or your children. And that they might see the reality of Jesus right in front of them. In every, you know, in every age, there's kind of a new temptation, it seems like. And in ours, the temptation is to believe that I have the right to be happy. And therefore, I have the right to make whatever decisions I want. That I get to pursue, as Francis Schaeffer said, personal peace and happiness, whatever it costs everybody around me. But Jesus calls us first to be holy. Amen? Amen. He calls us to be holy first and then to find our joy and our happiness in pursuing Him in a holy way. And this gets into the nitty-gritty of the Christian life right here. Can you live out your Christian commitment even when everything in you says, I don't want to do this anymore? That's what maturity looks like. When you are no longer wanting, but still needing to obey God. And you choose to obey even when it's tough. Because he who finds his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for the sake of Jesus finds it. Amen? Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, these are your people. I am among them, one of yours, one of the men and women that you have called out of darkness into your marvelous light, who have been bought by the blood of Jesus from the domain of darkness and brought into the kingdom of God's dear Son. Father, you call us to a life that is absolutely impossible, that is self-destructive, that puts to death every desire that we naturally normally have. And you call us to a life of holiness and truth and self-sacrifice. And it goes against everything within us as sinners. It goes against every piece of advice we would get from our culture and the people around us. And yet, Father, you call us to take up our crosses and be willing to put ourselves to death for the glory of knowing Jesus and following him and having the character of Jesus formed in us by your Holy Spirit. Father, these are hard words. They are not hard to understand. They are very hard to obey. And Father, I pray that if anyone is in one of these situations and is finding themselves wanting desperately to find a loophole, Father, I pray that instead of looking for loopholes, they would look for grace to sustain them in tough days and find you faithful to meet them where they are and to know that you love them, that you care for them, and that your reward is coming right along with your Son for those who follow you faithfully, though so it costs them everything they have. Father, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.